Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. And we're so glad you're with us on the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Jim, I can... Honestly, say I think we had a great time yesterday with uh, former senator and vice presidential nominee Joe Lieberman. I think he gave us some news, like we said at the end of the podcast yesterday, uh, a good conversation, and it uh, seems to have been well-received. So we thank our listeners for all the kind reviews on that. And uh, back to our usual fare today, right? Indeed. Uh, I think it was you know, well-timed since he uh, talked about Russia and Ukraine. And goodness, that story's not going away anytime soon. But uh, you know, as one of the classic maybe one of the last Scoop Jackson Democrats, kind of hawkish uh, within his party. It was good to get his, uh, one, it was good to hear his voice. We hadn't heard him in a while. Um, obviously, it was spurred by that Wall Street Journal op-ed. And uh, I found myself, you know, obviously didn't vote for the man in 2000. Nope. Uh, if I lived in Connecticut in 2006, I would have chosen him among, above Ned Lamont. Um, he didn't mention it yesterday, but I think the secret to beating Ned Lamont is to get Marcos Melitsis of Daily Coast to make a commercial for him. <laughs> Ned Lamont, I mean. That that was what made the difference, I think, back then. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so good good to hear from him. And, uh, you know, it, it also, I was noticed by the number of people who, you know, our listenership is very much right of center. Uh, Lieberman's been a Democrat his whole life. On certain issues, he's uh, been more to the right. Um, but, uh, you know, just as there's... There's still room for appreciation across the aisle, and uh, it's good to hear his voice again. Yeah, definitely. So, again, it's not a change to our regular format, but when opportunities present themselves and we think you're going to be interested in what a person has to say, uh, we'll we'll bring them on. So uh, no set schedule or anything like that, but uh, uh, excited to have that conversation. All right. But one of the things Lieberman talked about, of course, was his admiration for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema uh, in standing up against the groupthink of the Democratic Party and preserving the filibuster, which is critical for not having wild swings in policy and legislation and hopefully uh, bringing people to common ground on the things that have to get done. And Jim, perfect timing on that, just as other comments will be perfect timing on what we're going to talk about in our bad martini. And that's that yesterday was the big debate. We all knew it was going to happen, and uh, somehow everybody's still uh, frothing at the mouth on the left about this. But they had the uh, latest procedural vote on the the John Lewis uh, bill, and then the uh, voting other voting act, and they were fifty fifty, exactly what we thought. Divided Senate, but uh, with the filibuster, you got to get to sixty. So then Chuck Schumer tried to change the rule, tried to have a carve out for uh, this particular legislation. Final vote, 52 against, 48 in favor. That's because Manchin and Cinema did what they always said they would do and sided with the Republicans in not altering the filibuster. So, Jim, uh, bad legislation got paused, at least, probably stalled for hopefully the rest of this Congress, at least. Uh, we preserved the filibuster, which I think is significant. And because he's not too bright, Chuck Schumer got a lot of uh, Democrats up in 2022 on the record as being in favor of junking the filibuster to ram through radical Democratic legislation. So all in all, not a bad night in the Senate. No, it wasn't, Greg. And I think one of the you know aspects that jumped out at me is that <clears throat> you get the feeling Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona and Raphael Warnock of Georgia, uh, they're acting like they do not intend to be around for a long time. Maybe they don't. Maybe look, 2022 is supposed to be a good year for Republicans. Some Democrats seem to speak about Arizona and Georgia as if they're now blue states. I don't think that is a uh, safe assumption. And I kind of wonder if Kelly and Warnock are both in the mindset of, you know, 
a good Republican year in states like the ones we have, we're probably going to lose statewide. So you know what? We might as well say, damn the torpedoes, vote the way we want and let the chips fall where they may. And I suppose you could say that's kind of a principled stand. Uh, I do think that voting to get rid of the filibuster it gives the Republican opponents of Kelly and Warnock just one more topic to put up in attack ads and to hammer them on as summer turns into fall. The other thing which I guess probably should, we really should give credit for is throughout this whole process, both on this, on the Build Back Better, on a whole bunch of legislation, we have looked at cinema and, and, and mansion and said, well, we're happy with their stances, but we're not getting our hopes up. We're not gonna, you know, chisel their their names in stone yet because there's always a possibility that they will knuckle under under pressure. Here it is, January twentieth, one year into the Biden presidency, and Mansion and Cinema have not knuckled under under pressure, and the rest of the Democratic Party has thrown every conceivable form of pressure, including literally chasing Kirsten Cinema into the bathroom. So it's kind you know, I, I, we, sh we really should pause and give them credit. They weren't just saying it. It wasn't just a negotiating ploy. They meant it. They stood by it. Uh, cinema is likely to pay a certain price for it. I do wonder if, uh, I mean, right now, her numbers in a Democratic primary in Arizona are not good at all. I do wonder if this is going to be as big a deal uh, two and a half years down the road from now. I, I do wonder if the, because if Republicans take control of the Senate in 2022, Kirsten Cinema can vote for every lefty position for, for two straight years. And, you know, you kind of wonder how much will Arizona Democrats still be remembering? How much will they still be seething of January 2022 in November, and, you know, let's say, uh, you know, late spring, uh, they have a, a primary in 2024. Uh, so I don't know if she's a, Joe Manchin worry about anything in a primary. If by some miracle, a more progressive candidate beat Joe Manchin in a primary, well, then there'd be a Republican senator from West Virginia replacing him in November. Cinema has more to lose, but they've both stuck by their guns. They both, you know, they meant what they said. They said what they meant. And, uh, you know, I will the issue and they move on to other issues, Greg. But, you know, considering the thinking of Chuck Schumer, who knows? Maybe he thinks he can just, let's just vote on this over and over again. And see if, you know, Manchin changes his mind, which seems to be the philosophy of, you know, Capitol Hill correspondents asking him about the issue over and over again. Yeah, not likely to get a different answer from uh, from senators any better than Manu Raju will. But it's interesting to watch, Jim. Kirsten Cinema made her uh, Senate floor speech uh, just a few days ago. You had some folks saying, well, she's now on the side of white supremacists because she's not willing to do this filibuster change for the sake of the uh, elections bills, which is really just the federalizing of elections. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the crazy martini. Uh, then you had folks over at MSNBC saying she was childish and stupid. Uh, but Robert Reich, uh, as Rush Limbaugh used to call him, labor secretary during the Clinton years, uh, put up this tweet, took it down. But as we know, the Internet lives forever. Tonight, Republican senators lined up to shake Kirsten Sinema's hand. Democratic senators should have given her the backs of their hands. So, Jim, the party that champions women uh, and minorities, as we've seen over time, they love you until you go off the script. Then you're stupid, you're a racist, and you deserve to be assaulted. If you ever read Robert Reich's uh, autobiography, Locked in the Cabinet, about his time as Labor Secretary, he did not seem like a frothing at the mouth maniac. Uh, he did not seem like somebody who, you know, who, who would, you know, look, he had strong beliefs and didn't necessarily like the opposition party, but he didn't seem like the kind of guy who would run around saying we should be going out hitting people, even if he meant it only in a metaphorical way. So, uh, um, Greg, if Robert Reich, Reich is uh, short-tempered, 
Uh, it's maybe a recent development. The other thing I do know is I do wonder if, if there is this inverse relationship between how much a man calls himself a feminist and how he actually treats women and how he talks about them. Because I don't really understand how you can call yourself a feminist and believe in equality, and then run around saying, "Yeah, you know, she voted that way. We should give her the back of her hand." You know, you know, violence metaphor, domestic violence metaphors are always hilarious, aren't they? Yeah. So, um, it, you know, revealing, I think, of of Robert Reich. Well, Robert Reich has committed not only uh, an act of. Uh, ugly partisanship and, uh, you know, suggesting such a terrible act. He also tweeted it at 1.19 a.m. Mr. Secretary, let me tell you something. Nothing's good. It's going to come out of your Twitter account if you're on there at 1.19 in the morning. What he should have been doing was snoozing peacefully on his MyPillow and maybe on his Giza Dream Sheets as well. Love the pillow. Love the sheets. Love the towels. The mattress topper is great. But my very favorite product may be the new My Slippers. And right now, when you use our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com, you can get 40% off the new My Slippers. Now, these are not just any slippers. The My Slippers spent two years in development to ensure the highest quality and comfort. They're designed to be worn all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. These slippers are available in moccasin or slip-on style, and they come in a variety of colors and sizes. The My Slippers are made with quality leather suede, and they have the exclusive three-tier cushioning system, the MyPillow patented fill, the impact gel, and the memory foam. Now for a limited time, MyPillow offering 40% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square. Enter the promo code MARTINI there or call 800-874-0104. And while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including those Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. But you can only save that 40% on the new My Slippers with our promo code Martini. So use that code when you call 800-874-0104 or at MyPillow.com. All right, Jim. Yesterday, well after our conversation with Senator Lieberman, Joe Biden held a press conference. He doesn't do those very often. So it's, I guess, good that we got one. But we also saw why they don't happen very often. He went on for a very long time, I think close to two hours, And he got himself into trouble in a lot of different areas. And that's kind of where we're going to spend our focus on the last two martinis here. One bad, one crazy. Because just yesterday, Lieberman said, as you put in the morning jolt today, Putin is testing Biden. And Biden has to stand strong. Well, that didn't exactly happen in yesterday's press conference. Uh, Here's what he had to say about uh, what Russia might be up to uh, when it comes to the Ukraine border and massing all those troops there. Oh, I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion. Well, that did not sit well with the Ukrainians. Uh, Here's Jake Tapper with uh, correspondent Matthew Chance, who is in Kiev. And let's just say the Ukrainian officials were not ready for that, and they did not like that. Were Biden's remarks interpreted there as a less than wholehearted warning to Putin to not invade. Uh, well, I mean that's that's uh, an understatement. I mean they they watch those remarks. I think I think with horror. Uh, one uh, Ukrainian official who I've been in close contact with while this marathon press conference is underway said that he was, you know, I'm quoting here, shocked 
that President Biden would give a green light to Vladimir Putin in this way. So, Jim, we've talked about this for a long time. Based on what happened in Afghanistan, does Putin even take this uh, administration seriously? Uh, these negotiations we just reported a few days ago seem to be going nowhere about trying to deter Russian aggression towards Ukraine. And uh, all Biden did yesterday was make everything worse. Greg, I try not to overstate my own knowledge and uh, expertise and strategic vision when it comes to foreign policy. I lived abroad for a few years. I read a lot, but I, I don't pretend to be an expert. But if you are at all familiar with the Russian military and how they've been acting over the past decade or so, you may have come across the phrase little green men. And I wish they hadn't used that term because when you say that, people tend to think of Martians or Marvin the Martian from Warner Brothers cartoon. It's not, no, it's not, it's nothing to do with, with space aliens. That was the nickname that the Ukrainians gave for these uh, seemingly prof you know, professional soldiers in Russian-style combat uniforms and carrying Russian weapons, but they didn't have any uh, insignia on their uniforms, who came across the border into Crimea and in, into eastern parts of Ukraine in February 2014. And you may recall February to March 2014 is when Russia rolled into Crimea. These guys went into there, they seized uh, key, uh, key locations, set up checkpoints, it was a way of conducting an invasion without actually doing an invasion. In fact, you almost I call it, Greg, a minor incursion. <laughs> In other words, what Biden said is like, well, we don't know how, you know, we're, you know, it depends if it's one thing if it's a minor incursion. Uh, well, the minor incursion is pretty much step one in the Russian playbook. They have this this philosophy called hybrid warfare. And I could go into this at great length. I was reading about it a lot today. But basically, ever since the end of the Cold War, when particularly during the Putin era, Russia knows it is not likely to win a traditional battle. They've seen the Gulf War. They've seen the U.S. and Afghanistan. They've seen the U.S. and Iraq. One-on-one -on -one fights, they know they're not going to do very well against the U.S. or NATO or maybe other enemies. But they have perfected or, or in the process of perfecting is this process in which you don't really do a lot of direct fighting, you know, military to military. You do a lot of maybe a little bit of that, some hit and run attacks. Uh, as I said, these, you know, plausible deniability, you know, this you use Russian mercenaries, a lot of cyber warfare, a lot of flooding the opponent with uh, propaganda. Um, you try to use economic pressure, you exacerbate the existing tensions within your target state. You know, they call it, you know, this this hybrid warfare is attacking a country in all kinds of different ways beyond the traditional military one. So this is how Russia fights. This is how Russia wants to do it. So minor incursion, like that's part of the playbook, the whole idea. And there's this great I mentioned it last month, and I put another link to it today in the jolt. The old British television series called Yes, Prime Minister. Uh, this was filmed back in the 80s, so they're talking about the Soviet Union, but the philosophy uh, still applies. They call it the salami tactics, and the gist is one very thin slice at a time. Uh, this foreign policy expert is trying to explain to this well-meaning but somewhat naive British prime minister that the Russians are not just going to say, well, we're declaring war, here we come. They're going to have all kinds of accidental, not so accidental, you know, going across the border, small provocations. And it's kind of that, you know, frog in the boiling water metaphor that you gradually escalate what you're doing to the enemy. But you do it in such a vague and slow and start and stop process that the enemy doesn't really know what they're doing. You know, we never have this day where one day you're not at war and the next day you are. You're in this long, blurry, slowly escalating period where by the time the West realizes, oh, we're at war, Russia's fighting us. It's already too late, or at least Russia's already gotten a huge head start. This has been this is you know, like none of this is new. None of this should be shocking to anybody. And you know that Joe Biden must have been briefed on this dozens of times over the course of his career. 
And here he is saying a minor incursion, we might not react that way. Give credit to the White House press corps, which you and I are not always big fans of. They did a follow-up the whole time. I'm like, oh my God, ask him about it again. Ask him to clarify. Oh my God, please, please, please. So they ask him about it again. And then like somehow Biden manages to make it even worse because he says, well, you know, um, it's very important we keep everyone in NATO on the same page. There are differences. There are a lot of differences in NATO as to what countries are willing to do depending on what happens and the degree to which they're able to let go. Now, on the one hand, this isn't really a state secret. Anybody who can read the international press can tell that European countries in the U.S. have a different attitude, different levels of what they're willing to do in response to a Russian invasion of Ukraine. But it's another thing for the U.S. president to say, yeah, NATO's not united. <laughs> Vladimir Putin, we've got all kinds of internal divisions. We just don't know what we're going to do if you make a minor incursion. And then he goes on even further and he says, that, you know, imposing sanctions on Russia is going to have a negative impact on the economies of Europe as well. So Joe Biden just stood up, got up in front of the whole wide world and said, hey, one of the reasons we can't unite on what Russia, what to do if Russia invades Ukraine is that Europe is afraid of the economic consequences. Greg, I guess we should just be glad they didn't blurt out the nuclear codes. <laughs> yeah, he's not, not helping himself. And of course, the damage control on this has been uh, fascinating to watch. Jen Psaki, who might have spent more time cleaning up the press conference than Biden spent out there, which is considerable, says President Biden has been clear with the Russian president. If any Russian military forces move across the Ukrainian border, that's a renewed invasion and it will be met with a swift, severe and united response from the United States and our allies. Uh, and so... That's not what he said. And then Kamala went on the Today Show this morning saying the same thing. And Savannah Guthrie saying, look, the president says it on live television that goes all around the world. It's not quite the same when the press secretary sends out a statement. And, of course, Kamala's only response is, well, I'm the vice president. And the president has been consistent on this. Obviously, no, he hasn't. He hasn't. <laughs> so. Don't cover your ears, listeners, because I'm about to say something nice about Jen Psaki and Vice President Harris. Jen Psaki and Vice President Harris said exactly what U.S. policy should be. Unfortunately, they said it after the president, speaking off the cuff, said the opposite of what U.S. policy should be. And I don't think anyone is going to be fooled. I think people are going to believe that what Biden said, you know, is what he actually thinks, as opposed to the press releases and statements from Harris issued later on. Yeah, I, you can try to do damage control here, but I think you know, Vladimir Putin is probably now looking at this and saying, OK, if I make a minor incursion, NATO is going to be too divided to know what it's actually going to do. They're not going to do anything to me that I'm not willing to withstand. Yeah, I think that's a very good assessment of what the takeaway is from yesterday. And boy, when you prefaced your Ukraine question yesterday to Senator Lieberman, unless events overtake us uh, before this uh, gets posted. Fortunately, that didn't happen. But uh, uh, if Putin was getting close already, this certainly isn't going to change his timetable. That's for sure. All right, Jim, we are not done with uh, Jen Psaki's cleanup efforts as we move into the crazy martini today. Uh, also at the press conference, uh, the president knew what was going to happen at the Senate last night. He knew the voting bills weren't going to get to the 60 vote threshold. And he knew since Joe Manchin was literally on the Senate floor at the very same time as the press conference explaining why he would not support any changes to the filibuster, he knew that the rule change wasn't going to happen. He knew he was going to lose. And that might be one of the reasons he was in such a testy mood on this particular topic. But it got asked a couple of times, hey, if you don't get your way on this legislation, do you see uh, the midterm elections as being legitimate? Here's the first crack at the question. Speaking of voting rights legislation, if this isn't passed, do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate? 
Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. If your answer to the question of will the elections be legitimate is it all depends, uh, you're off to a very, very bad start. So Philip Wegman of Real Clear Politics follows up on that and uh, talks about Biden's, uh, you know, majorly incendiary speech in Atlanta a few days ago, where he says, if you're not with him on this issue, you're on the side of Bull Connor. And so Biden pushed back saying he wasn't calling anyone Bull Connor. Uh, and then so Wegman said, OK, so you're not saying they are that person. But they're kind of in the same camp. Listen to this extended exchange and uh, Biden missing the point and then actually saying the exact same thing he said in the speech. You dispute the characterization that you called folks who would oppose those voting bills um, as being Bull Connor or George Wallace. But you said that they would be sort of in the the same camp. No, Uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said and tell me. If you think I called anyone who voted on the side of the position taken by Bull Connor, that they were Bull Connor. And that is an interesting reading of English. You, you, I assume you got into, into journalism because you like to write. So did you expect that that would work with Senators Manchin or, or Cinema? Um, no, here's argument? the thing. There's certain things that are so consequential. You have to speak from your heart as well as your head. I was speaking out forcefully on what I think to be at stake. That's what it is. And by the way, no one, no one forgets who was on the side of King or verse on or Bull Connor. No one not done that. The history books will note it. And when I was making the case, don't think this is a freebie. So, Jim, (laughs) that's exactly what Wegman asked. Were they in the same camp? And Biden yells at him and then basically says, yeah, I'm saying they're in the same camp. My theory here is that Biden misunderstood the question or didn't hear it well. uh, But nonetheless, he went back and said exactly the same thing, but got his little shouty moment in there, too. So once again, he's completely botched this issue. Yeah, I was going to say, Greg, for the first uh, half hour to 45 minutes of the press conference, um, Biden did a lot of his whisper routine. You have to understand this bill. It's about America. It's about our values, about who we are. You know, this, this, you know, um, and he had avoided shouting. And, and I, I was thinking, I wonder if his staff told him after the speech in Atlanta, it went badly. You don't sound good when you're angry. You sound like, a, you know, Abe Simpson, angry man, yells at cloud. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you try to avoid that. And for a long stretch, he did. But, that, you know, by the way, give credit to Biden. His answers were terrible, but he did it for two hours. So there's a certain amount of stamina and demonstrating, hey, I'm not afraid to. And he called on Peter Ducey. He called on James Rosen. Um, and so, like, there's a, you know, like, good credit for him for that. But answers like this were bad because he's insisting, I didn't say that thing you all heard me say. And then really kind of flashed a little bit of anger there. Um, the other thing, I, I heard somebody making the argument that deep down Joe Biden is a very insecure guy. You'd think, no, no, he seems like, you know, uh, he's got a huge ego. What are you talking about? He's he's full of himself. He's constantly, he thinks he's God's gift to the U.S. Senate and the country. And and, but every once in a while, you think back to his first presidential campaign where, you know, somebody asked him a question he didn't like and he snapped back. I bet you I have a much higher IQ than you do. You know, that there is this like defensive look at me. I'm not I'm not some, you know, 
uh, weirdo from Delaware. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm a smart guy. And when he gave when he went in, you know, I bet you got it in the journals because you love to write. Like there's a little bit of a oh, aren't you such an egghead? You know, you're so smart you can't even understand what I'm saying. There's a little bit of the I think where some of that prickliness comes from from Joe Biden. Um, which is surprising. Like you, it's it's really fascinating to think you could ascend to the highest office in the land and still feel insecure. And yet here we are. We see this kind of interesting outburst coming from Biden. Now the general question of the legitimacy of the elections, the obvious, you know, the easy rejoinder here is: Look, we've just spent a whole year, you know, hearing from Democrats. We think a certain amount of, of truth to it that you know it is a threat to democracy for Donald Trump to run around the country and say the elections were fraudulent, the elections are not legitimate. I'm the real president. Blah blah blah. However, I also you know, we could also point out well, that's the sort of that's exactly what Stacey Abrams had said about the gubernatorial election in Georgia in 2018. There is this very interesting idea in which Democrats really seem to think that a Stacey Abrams or saying, you know, we don't know if the midterm elections of 2022 are going to be legitimate. They really don't see any harm in that. They really seem to think, like, well, morally, right? Morally, Stacey Abrams is the governor because she came within 50,000 votes. That's close enough, right? She should become governor because she covered the spread, right? That against Brian Kemp. That's, you know, this, this mentality there. Whereas, you know, if, if Trump runs around saying, I'm the real president, or polling indicates a significant number of Republicans believe that Biden didn't legitimately win, then that's, you know, American democracy is hanging by a thread. And most of us would point out, you can't have those completely different standards. You can't have that. that. And oh, by the way, if Stacey Abrams saying, you know, I do not concede is a sign of saying, look, she's not leading an armed insurrection against the state government of Georgia. She just basically feels like she should have won and that the whole thing was unfair and that, you know, then some of what you're seeing on the right, I suspect, is also that same sense of I wish my guy had won. I wish my guy had won so much. I reject the results. I don't want him to be the true. The same way, Greg, that like Godfather 3 didn't happen, <laughs> nor did the fourth Indiana Jones movie, nor did uh, insert any other, you know, and, and The Hobbit was only one movie that uh, we just, you know, take the good parts of those three. I exaggerate slowly, but that same sense of not wanting to believe something, you don't actually think through. Anyway, it does Democrats no good to run around saying now the 2022 midterm elections may not be legitimate. Because, as we all suspect, Republicans are going to have a good year. Based on certain polling numbers, Republicans could have a phenomenal year. And this sets up that same phenomenon on the left side of the aisle, where Democrats are saying, well, you see that election we just lost? It's because of voter fraud. It's because of voter suppression. It's because of the rules being tweaked by Republicans. It's not really who won. We still control the House. We still control the Senate. We still have a bunch of Democratic governors. Biden is setting the stage for that, which is not going to be good for the country at all. Not at all. And you'd think by the rhetoric, uh, you know, that massive voter repression and suppression was on the way. I mentioned Kamala Harris was on the Today Show uh, speaking with Savannah Guthrie. And Savannah's like, OK, so, you know, it's not a good look for the president to be questioning the legitimacy of future elections. You guys got uh, pretty harsh on uh, President Trump for that. And so here's what Kamala Harris says is at stake if this legislation is not approved. And let's not be distracted by the political gamesmanship when what is truly at stake are, are, are issues like whether Americans with disability have the opportunity to vote by mail, whether a single parent has the opportunity with three kids in the back seat to vote by dropping off their ballot in a drop box instead of having to stand in line with those three kids for hours. 
Okay, if you're disabled, you can absolutely vote by absentee from home. You might have yeah. to actually provide a signature to get it done. And I'm sorry, drop boxes are not a constitutional crisis. They didn't even exist, I don't think, until the pandemic. So to say that you have to go back to pre-2020 is not exactly going back to the 50s and 60s in the Deep South. Greg, the Daily Mail asked me to look at what was actually in the legislation Democrats were trying to pass. And one of the provisions is the states must have vote by mail. Now, I believe it should be up to the states, but I think vote by mail is a perfectly fine, good idea. By the way, I'd love to show you, Vice President Harris, please show me the state that will not allow you to vote by mail if you're disabled. There isn't one. Show it to me. I don't think, I don't think it exists. Second thing is the legislation requires states to have vote by mail and drop boxes. Now, Greg, your ballot can count by dropping it in any mailbox. Why do you need the drop boxes? <laughs> well put. I, I suspect this is like put in during that. Remember like three weeks last in 2020, Democrats were convinced Republicans were stealing mailboxes and that was how they were going to, you know, uh, win the election or something. Peter DeFazio, this Oregon Democratic congressman, chained himself to a mailbox and said, you know, made a video saying they're not going to get this one. As I wrote in the Daily Mail, Greg, if I did that, wouldn't you refer me for psychiatric evaluation? <laughs> yes. You, you'd, you'd be deeply concerned about your friends if they're like, yeah, I'm chaining myself to my mailbox because I think Republicans are trying to steal them. You'd, you'd be like, OK, all right, um, we need to we need, you probably need to be on medication. This is not normal. There is you know, the legislation is a whole big grab bag and the of, of generally bad ideas eliminates fo uh, photo ID. But 80 like percent of Americans support photo ID. You, you, the you know, if you. Uh, wants to restore the votes for all felons. Now, here's the thing. A whole bunch of states have done so. You know what state does not automatically restore the vote to felons upon release? Going with Delaware. Good guess. <laughs> that terrible, racist, oppressive state of death, which Joe Biden has never worried about before this year, right? Uh, oh, by the way, Delaware does not enable absentee, no excuse absentee voting. Never bothered Joe Biden before this year. So, you know, kind of, uh, Chuck Schumer was willing to destroy the filibuster for this legislation. Oh, by the way, New York doesn't do it either. What, do you lose the phone <laughs> numbers to state legislators? So, that's where we are, Greg. Ah, yes. As I've quoted a local radio host before, if it weren't for double standards, they would have no standards at all sometimes. So, uh, Jim, fun day as always. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of cleanup to do. Jen Psaki was on Twitter this morning trying to clean up this one, too. But, uh can't really clean it up after that. So have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow actually is Friday. Jen Saki, clean up on aisle six. <laughs> see you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, tell your friends about us as well. We're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.